This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research. Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV, celebrating our 10th anniversary today. Thanks for your support. Did China try and influence two previous Canadian elections? A stunning report from Canada's spy agency claims that country's government attempted to interfere in our previous two federal elections. But the report also pointed to a lack of concern from the PMO. Prime Minister Trudeau has appointed David Johnson as special rapporteur to investigate the claim, despite opposition calls for a full public inquiry. Or unpublished vote question asked you, do you feel there should be a full public inquiry into the allegations of election interference? Yes, no, or unsure. And over 90% said yes, just 8% said no, and the rest we're unsure. However, you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at Unpublished Vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. It's our new portal for political discussion and debate. Joining us to discuss the allegations is Gar Party, former Canadian diplomat and the author of China in a Changing World. Colin Robertson is a former Canadian diplomat and senior advisor to Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And Charles Burton is a senior fellow with the Macdonald Laurier Institute and served as a counselor at the Canadian Embassy to China between 91 and 93 and 98 and 2000. And I thank uh, all three of you for joining us to talk about this today. And we'll, we'll go around the horn first. Gar, do you feel Canada needs a full public inquiry? Not at this stage. I'm still waiting for uh, a more specific information to come into public uh, view here. Uh, I've dealt with CSIS just about all of my, well, previous to CSIS, even the old RCMP security services. I've dealt with them over the years. And I come with a high degree of uh, skepticism, I think, with regards to when they make large political, uh, con come to large political conclusions here. And I think this is a situation in which the uh, the allegations are quite large and quite significant, but I'm still waiting for more information to come into play. The actual documentation supporting the news stories that have re that have reported this has, is pretty thin, quite frankly, and uh, I'm still uh, still one in in fact to uh, to wait for something more to come into play, and maybe the former governor general, in terms of his initial work, may give us that information. But so far, I don't think it's in the public uh, domain. This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research, one of Canada's leading public research firms. Main Street has a strong track record of polling elections at every level of government across Canada, as well as comprehensive market research for industry-leading firms. Main Street's newest consumer product is Main Street Intel, a monthly subscription that gives you access to their polling and modeling of Canadian elections and analysis of Canadian politics. You'll receive national and provincial polling every month, along with highlights on notable upcoming by-elections from across the country. For $5 a month, Main Street Intel provides you access to nationwide data so you can keep up to date with our changing political landscape. Subscribe to Main Street Intel today and level up your knowledge of Canadian politics. All right, uh, Colin, what do you think? Is uh, the public uh, need or want a full public inquiry into this? Well, I think I would come down with Gar. I think let's wait and see what David Johnson comes up with. But keep in mind, Ed, that there's already a lot of information out there through the uh, 
Parliamentary Committee on National Security uh, look in intelligence, which has looked at this. So there's also another parliamentary committee looking look specifically at China. Just came out with a report on Taiwan, but earlier a report on China, in which uh, these these allegations have been made. There is obviously some evidence. The uh, Canadian security establishment and the uh, CSIS have talked about foreign interference. So I don't think it's not as if we don't know this has not happened in the past, but. Before you do a, a massive public inquiry, I think get some more facts out. And immediately we've got the former governor general, who is a man of high probity, who I think will will look into this and come up with some ideas. And then then you can proceed next forward. But again, I'd say it's not as if we don't know this is happening. There's also the book by Jonathan Manthorpe, The Claws of the Panda, which goes into some detail, drawing on the available evidence about interference, as we would call it. But then you've also got to define what interference is. It's not just in elections. It's also cyber, stealing intellectual property, that kind of thing. Uh, Charles, are you going to make it uh, unanimous? Well, I think we do need to do more about this. I mean, certainly uh, Mr. Johnston's acceptance of this you know, unprecedented special rapporteur role has been tainted by the revelations that he served on the Trudeau Foundation, and Trudeau Foundation had to return $200,000 because it was found that this money uh, was not from a, a Chinese citizen on his own bat, but was directed by the government of China and paid by the government of China. And then his own close friendship with the prime minister, who is necessarily an object of, of uh, investigation himself. What did he know? Uh, when did he know it? And the, the essentially secret nature of the special rapporteur um, and all of the processes involving ENSACOP and, uh, and the election process where they all end up reporting to the prime minister's office. I think that we need a process that's depoliticized. I mean, right now you've got the Canada-China committee, a special committee of the Commons, the Procedures and House Affairs Committee of the Commons, and the Ethics Committee of the Commons, all looking into this material from different angles. But that's necessarily a highly politicized process. I think we, you know, I think there's sufficient concern by Canadians on this matter that we need to do more. And that anything that, that Mr. Johnston makes public, um, aside from his advice to the Prime Minister, uh, will be questioned um, because of the, uh, uh, I think, unfortunate circumstances of him accepting a role in which there is a perception of conflict of interest. So, you know, I'd say, I'd say we need to go full speed ahead on this. Whether the government um, is prepared to do that is very much uh, in question. You know, uh, Colin, you had brought mentioned that uh, it's not the first time we've heard this. Uh, in, in particular, when we're talking about China, uh, and when we talk about you know allegations of election interference, when so few Canadians bother to, to vote, does it really matter? Yes, it does matter, and I think that uh, in the case of Canadians voting, I would move to what the Australians drew and basically say Canadians should vote. I think that civic engagement is really vital, and I do think that. There is a, a growing threat of autocracies versus democracies. The, the Russians would like to have an alternative system. The Chinese would. But I think voting is the fundamental ingredient of democracy. And I think the Australians have this better than we do in that citizens are obliged to vote unless they've, unless they've got very good reason why they could not. 
Gar, I'm wondering, is it more concerning to you, and you brought up with, uh, with your background in dealing with the RCMP and CSIS, that uh, the allegations of tampering uh, by, by China come from CSIS? And, and the fact that somebody from CSIS went public, what does that tell you? Well, the person from CSIS uh, is, is quite a unique individual in the sense that certainly he went public and spoke to a number of journalists about his concerns here. Uh, and then the Globe and Mail gave him the opportunity to publish an editorial about all of this. But there is no identification of that individual uh, whatsoever in terms of his own background and things like this. There's things that I would look at. And I, with regards to governments uh, meddling in other governments' affairs, it's uh, I don't think there's anything unique in that going on. I can always remember the Air India episode that I was dealing with, and I can tell you with great certainty that I got more information about the Indian community in Canada than I got from CSIS or from the RCMP, which uh, CSIS bridged, as you know, that old episode. It came into existence uh, 11 months before India, the bombs went on to Air India. And other governments over the years have meddled here. And whether that meddling, and, and I think this is where you get into the size of the migratory population that uh, Canada consists of these days, particularly uh, the Chinese community, which has grown phenomenally, I think, over the last years, but existed historically as well. Uh, and uh, the Chinese community uh, in particular, there was always a basic divide within the Chinese community uh, in, back in the days when uh, we had the first episodes over Taiwan, uh, the divisions you had, and then finally the government uh, in, in of its day decided to uh, to uh, to establish recognition of the government in Beijing, and with the result that I think uh, a whole lot of things starts to change. And I think part of the changes were driven by Canada in terms of our own approach to China. And China has been a, a difficult country to deal with at the best of times. But I, I, not too long ago, there was efforts on the part of Canada to uh, even uh, negotiate a... Uh, uh, an extradition treaty with China and things like that we were willing to accept. All of these things were happening, say, in the aftermath of what happened in 1989 in China. And we know what kind of a government we're dealing with here. And we should take that into account every time we try to do something with them. Right now, I think in this particular period, uh, uh, we're driven by our alliances to a certain extent, and particularly the Americans and our relationship with other neighboring countries around Japan here who are also trying to figure out how what the future brings with regards to the relationship with China. And I think it's in that larger context, I think one should look at uh, what's going on in Canada and be very sure that we know what we're talking about when we talk about foreign in influences or interference, if you like here. Influences are there. The interference is an entirely different issue, and that needs to be uh, defined in, with greater detail than is the case right now. This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research, one of Canada's leading public research firms. Main Street has a strong track record of pulling elections at every level of government across Canada, as well as comprehensive market research for industry-leading firms. Main Street's newest consumer product is Main Street Intel, a monthly subscription that gives you access to their polling and modeling of Canadian elections and analysis of Canadian politics. 
You'll receive national and provincial polling every month, along with highlights on notable upcoming by-elections from across the country. For $5 a month, Main Street Intel provides you access to nationwide data so you can keep up to date with our changing political landscape. Subscribe to Main Street Intel today and level up your knowledge of Canadian politics. All right. Uh, Charles, how how would uh, China benefit from uh, such interference? Well, I think, you know, I I think um, Gar has some important points there. Um, It's really a question that, of course, China has preferences with regard to who forms the uh, government, Um, you know, and there's certainly a lot of legitimate diplomatic tools that they that China can use to express its government's preference for one one party or another. I, you know, I prefer that they didn't, but there's no violation of, of diplomatic protocol or law in, in so doing. I think the issues are more significant if there is foreign money uh, entering into our political process through proxies. And that is one of the serious allegations made in the uh, Globe and Mail reporting of the CSIS documents and Sam Cooper's work for the global uh, news. So, you know, uh, there was another Globe and Mail report which reflected that the government has not been acting on recommendations with regard to clarification of what constitutes legitimate um, foreign participation in our democratic process and what constitutes influence or interference activities. And I think we have to get that absolutely clear. But, you know, this is not just about elections. We've seen the reports where um, the United Front Work Department of the Chinese Communist Party's organizations in Canada, which, you know, we've counted about 300 um, different ostensibly uh, Chinese-Canadian grassroots organizations, but which actually are, um, according to reporting, directed by the embassy and consulate, including the process of vetting their leaders going through uh, Beijing, the organization department of the Chinese Communist Party. So, I mean, we have to look at the larger picture of all of the Chinese government's um, activities in Canada outside of their embassies and consulates, including the so-called police stations and Confucius Institutes, in addition to these proxy organizations that seem to be where the Chinese government um, mobilizes people for activities that I think are likely illegal in Canada in terms of foreign funding of political campaigns, um, which, you know, is not is not permitted in, in our system. So, you know, in general, I think the Chinese government wants to dampen um, criticism of its activities in Canada, espionage and, um, and uh, support for uh, providing benefits to people who are involved in the policy process which we're looking into a foreign um, influence registry act right now. The public uh, consultations on this under Minister Mendicino will start next week. And uh, and in general, um, um, you know, whether China is exceeding its its rights uh, as a as a representative uh, nation in Canada with regard to its its activities to try and and uh, and uh, further its own. Uh, domestic and domestic agenda in Canada, international agenda uh, generally. And I, I think there are legitimate concerns in the sense that maybe other powers like Russia and Iran also have similar ideas to violate 
the international rules-based order and violate Canadian law domestically. But the Chinese government has the resources to do this and is putting enormous amounts of resources into this um, United Front work or Ministry of State Security subversion. I, I would notice that you know there are an awful lot of Chinese diplomats accredited to Canada. There are 146 of them in the embassy and consulates in our country compared to um, 46 for Japan, 35 for India, and 23 for the United Kingdom. So when one, I think, does have legitimate concerns about why China has such a large diplomatic cohort and what they're doing, certainly there aren't 146 um, Canadian diplomats reciprocally uh, accredited to the People's Republic of China. So, I mean, there are just so many, many issues here beyond simple electoral interference that it would be great for Canada to get clear and to enact policies that will um, set things to rights. And I'm hoping that our government, uh, under very strong public pressure, uh, will do that before the next election. <laughs> Colin, Canada is part of the, the Five Eyes organization. Now, how does it react to these allegations, or would it have known them considering those spy agencies communicate with each other? Uh, well, Ed, yes. I, I think we share an awful lot with each other, and we're all susceptible to foreign influence, particularly from China, Russia, uh, North Korea, and Iran. And uh, when the President Biden was in Ottawa recently, he and the Prime Minister name those four countries. So, you know, again, no surprises. The Australians have taken uh, significant efforts to curb foreign interference, particularly Chinese interference. I'm impressed by what they, they do. And I think that the, the naming and shaming, again, to go back to something that Gar said, you want to be very sure before you do so. But when you do, when you knew, know so, you should probably do so. And, mm -hmm. and send, if it's a foreign diplomat who's interfered, then send them packing. I think we probably have not done that. Uh, and it's not as if we haven't known about it. I think it's 10 years ago, Dick Fadden, who was then head of CSIS, sat down with Peter Mansbridge and talked about foreign interference, particularly aimed at legis legislators. It created a great stir, but I don't think there was any great surprise to what he was saying. So uh, I think that there is a lot more we can do, and I'm, I'm impressed by what I see the Australians doing, even under the new their new government, uh, dealing with their, like Canada, they've got big diaspora communities. Keep in mind, Ed, that what, one in five Canadians is born outside the country. And uh, in big cities like Toronto, and Toronto, of course, half the people are born outside of Canada. So this is uh, an, an issue. But I think I'd come back to something Carr and both Charles talked about, and that is defining the difference between influence and interference. By definition, when foreign diplomats are in a country, they're trying to influence the policy. I was a foreign diplomat, so was Garth. That's part of what we did. But interference is quite another matter. One of our problems is we haven't got standards or norms. We, you know, we in the West understand, the Five Eyes would understand what that is. But I don't think uh, there's an agreement with the Chinese and the Russians on what that means. And I think we probably need to come up with something like that. I, you mentioned the uh, the Australians, and you were impressed with what the Australians do. What do they do to, to deal with, with China? Well, for example, if there is foreign interference and it's uh, through either cyber or something else, then they literally put out a press release saying this has taken place by the Chinese Ministry of uh, Security or the uh, FSB in Russia and, and, and describe what took place and, uh, as they say, name and shame. And I think that that would act as a bit of a deterrent. 
And I think if we took that approach throughout the Five Eyes community, we talked about doing it, say, through the G7 and with our NATO allies, because it is a real threat. It's not just to the Five Eyes, but to basically all democracies. And I think that that is something that all democracies should care about, just as we came up with the Declaration Arbitrary Detention after the two Michaels, which I think we should add teeth to sanctions, economic sanctions. I think we should be looking at something on foreign interference in uh, democratic elections. Kara, uh, I'm, I'm wondering when we look at this situation, do you consider it a national security crisis? No, certainly not at this stage. I, mean, I think we've got many crises in Canada that we should be dealing with, and I would not put this particular issue anywhere near the top as far as a, of one of these fundamental things. I mean, we're still going through the process of trying to reestablish a relationship with the Indigenous people of Canada here, and I think which takes priority, in my view, than anything else that we would do. But I, it does bring up the issue, though, in terms of we have a very large and very historic community uh, community of Chinese Canadians who go back, which and they were here at the time we were trying to develop this place as a country. And there are overtones in the current situation that basically starts to deal, raises to the issue of whether or not some people want to see that community in effect uh, become larger. I don't know if it's the largest one in Canada these days, but I know that our immigration office in Beijing these days, I think is the largest immigration office we have anywhere in the world at the moment and people are coming and in terms of the uh, a few years ago uh, we went out of our way to try to promote uh, the idea here and one of them of course was the students who came into Canada into our universities and the sheer number of those students I think became a large financial element in the financing of our universities given what they had to pay uh, other elements in that we wanted to promote Canada as a uh, detailed uh, destination for Chinese tourism that came into Canada for a while so all of these things have been going on and I'm just I just want to be very certain when we get into those kinds of issues that are, I think, that uh, that get at the kind of country that we are already, that we make significant changes in order to deal with what may not be much of a problem, quite frankly. And that's where I, I guess I come down and until, and this is why I think Mr. Johnson, when he starts talking to people here, I'm not sure what conclusion he's going to come to. I know he's under some pressure, a political pressure, perhaps more than anything else, to uh, suggest that maybe there should be some sort of an inquiry. But I've been involved in national inquiries in Canada, and this is not necessarily a place like Commons. Uh, uh, committees is a place that one finds uh, a tremendous amount of uh, evidence and, uh, and understanding of what the issues are. And so when we embark on these things, I think we should slow down. Uh, I mean, a few weeks ago, we were worried about Chinese uh, weather balloons that came into the country and wandered across North America. And suddenly we get reports out of the United States supposedly leaked uh, from their intelligence organizations that they were collecting intelligence. Well, let me tell you, I uh, was involved in our weather service for a number of years. And let me tell you, a weather balloon, I don't think no matter how good the associated equipment was, is not a mechanism for gathering intelligence. So, but we run down these uh, these trails 
that, that I think in many instances are false, and they're driven more or less by larger political issues that are involved here, and that is the realignment of the world here in terms of uh, the, the, the powers that in effect create most of the influence here, and there's no doubt that China has now arrived at the, in the top tier, probably only two countries really with the power, uh, somewhat similar power, uh, that can influence an awful lot of events in the world. And all of them are nuclear powers. And that scares me. If we want to look at an issue that should worry about us in Canada, we've dropped the ball with regards to the efforts to denuclearize the world as far as bombs are concerned. And that is an issue that should, in effect, be at the top of our list as far as Canadian foreign policy is concerned. Uh, Charles uh, Gar brought up uh, David Johnson, the the special rapporteur, and you know, let's face it, Colin spoke very highly of him as well, and he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever interviewed. I'm just wondering what kind of an impact this is going to have on his reputation uh, going out and and doing the special rapporteur, even though the link to the Trudeau Foundation, you know, we we can't really argue with who he was raised with or who lived, had a cottage next door to him. But it has that look of a bit of uh, a setup more than anything else. Well, I, I, you know, there's also his own foundation in which there are a number of uh, people associated with uh, China, including uh, former Ambassador Dominic Barton. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that, that he made an error in judgment in accepting this role because of the perception of conflict of interest. I, I certainly, um, you know, share your very high assessment of Mr. Johnston and have had some uh, back and forth with him over the years. But I think, you know, in terms of the larger issue, for example, um, you know, the seriousness of the crisis, Colin made reference to Australia. Australia implemented a Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act in 2018. And just before that act came into effect, the former Australian Minister of International Affair, uh, International Trade, Andrew Robb, resigned an $880,000 a year private um, consultancy with a Chinese billionaire who had been involved in the 99-year lease on the port of Darwin. And so, you know, the certainly no suggestion that Mr. Robb had done anything illegal in, in um, doing this very well-paid part-time job. But, um, uh, you know, as Colin says, I think the perception is, is the key here. And uh, um, one can only assume that if there are Australian senior officials who are receiving very high amounts of uh, benefits from China-associated um, sources, that the same thing could be going on in Canada. I mean, we're aware of the retainer that uh, Jean Charest uh, received from the Huawei company, which I read, um, I, I, I can't verify the information, was $70,000 a month over three years. And he was speaking in favor of Huawei before it became known in the course of his um, conservative leadership campaign that he was receiving this benefit. And, um, you know, rightly, he says as a, as a lawyer, he couldn't uh, reveal this kind of information himself. Um, but, you know, I think there are a lot of questions about uh, China's influence in our political process and whether this has a dampening effect on the enthusiasm for um, politicians of 
both the liberal and the conservative parties, I don't think it's necessarily uh, restricted to one party or the other, to um, pursue Chinese affairs because for many of them, you know, they're thinking about their careers after they leave politics when they're typically, you know, in their 50s and feeling that they deserve to make uh, a lot of money as uh, my colleague at the Royal uh, United Services Institute, uh, Charlie Parton says, uh, life transforming amounts of money. And if you're perceived as a politician who has actively um, acted to challenge uh, Chinese malign activities in Canada, you won't have those uh, law firm and uh, board opportunities that uh, others do. And so I, I think that we really need to clear up this issue and get some transparency on anyone who may be receiving benefits from a foreign state who, um, uh, after they have served in a position of public trust, or even while they're serving in a position of public trust, so that just so that Canadians have clarity on this on this matter, and and I think so that people who, as Colin points out, want to maintain uh, um, you know uh, reputations for integrity, will be disincentived from receiving money secretly from a foreign power that may influence. Um, their uh, advice to a government with regard to a foreign policy. Colin, if, uh, if David Johnson in his uh, investigation does find interference by China in our elections, what's next? Well, we'll see what he recommends. I'm not sure that that was his remit to, to actually find interference. I think it was more to look at how should the government deal with this. He'll look at the evidence. After all, remember, he is a lawyer himself. And then he'll come up with, I think his, his remit was to say, okay, what do we do? Of which a public inquiry could be one of the options. Uh, again, I think, I feel he's got the work of Job, I think for the reasons Charles yeah. pointed out, this is, he's taken this on. I mean, this is a, a man who has made a better Canada. And uh, I think that he, he's doing this as a public duty, but I, I, I certainly have a lot of empathy for him and empathy is what his latest book is about. But I, I think he is, he was probably the right person to do it, but I do have a lot of sympathy for him because I do think, as Charles points out, given his connections with things, that there's some, unfortunately, some tarring. I don't believe that it's fair, but I think that the media has put that there. So I think whatever he comes up with, let's see what he comes up with. And then, as Gar says, that's the next step forward. And if he recommends a public inquiry, then I would say, yeah, because I, I think that he would have decided the evidence pointed in that direction. But we're not there yet. In the meantime, I just point out, because I think that the, the China is our second biggest trading partner. We still have to have diplomatic relations with China. That part doesn't change. Uh, so engage with China, but, but uh, keep them uh, on their toes. And, and, and if they go over the line, then I think, I think this is where we've stepped down in, in recent years. We've, we've, we've turned the other cheek, as the prime minister once put it. And I think that was a mistake. I think that we should have taken action some years ago when we knew this stuff was going on. Uh, we didn't. Uh, other governments have. We're seen as a bit of a soft touch, but I think now we're, we're going to react, but I hope we don't overreact. One time, what I great worry about is the pendulum swings too far the other way, and then you see anti-Chinese racism, which has also been suggested. And gosh, you know, this, as Scars pointed out, the Chinese community made a great contribution to our country, and I don't think anybody wants to see our immigration change, but we want to be sure that the people who come here they come to a democracy, and that's part of the direct, the attraction of coming to Canada. 
Well, folks, uh, interesting discussion, and I appreciate you all joining us uh, for it. Uh, our, our guest today, Gar Party, former Canadian diplomat, the author of China in a Changing World, Colin Robertson, former Canadian diplomat and senior advisor with Canadian Global Affairs Institute, and Charles Burton, senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, as well as served as the counsel of the Canadian Embassy to China between 1991 and 93 and 98 to 2000. I want to thank you for watching and supporting Unpublished for the last 10 years. Yes, we're 10 years old today. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.